Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind Stocks on a Move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 138. Just ahead, Beyond Meat announces and reannounces and reannounces an old deal for a new boost to the stock price. We'll dig a little bit deeper. Plus, a big bet on green fracking pays off for next tier oil fields. And how a big space exploration company, Rocket Lab, is aiming to give SpaceX a run for its money and make space missions easier and cheaper we're going to talk to Rocket Lab CEO Peter Beck at length. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight ever. With ERA, customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And you may be listening to The Drill Down on TuneIn or iHeart or Stitcher or Google Play or Spotify or iTunes. Who knows? But it's a lot easier to catch every show if you hit that subscribe button, so please do. And the drill down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. All right, I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to the drill down. We've got business stories behind stocks on the move. Our first show of the new year. I'm glad to be doing it, as always, with executive producer Isaac Webster. Isaac, how are you? Happy New Happy Year. Happy to be here with you, too. Happy New Year, 2022. Yeah. It's going to be such a good one. Uh, I'm stoked. We've got lots of good stories. I, I like. I really like being a journalist in times like this when, when there's yeah. confusion about, does the headline mean what's really going on? And often that is not the case. That's why yeah. it's fun to dig in a little bit. Yeah. Let's. Well, Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Well, let's start with Beyond Meat. Speaking of headlines pointing us in the wrong direction. Uh, Beyond Meat shares have fallen 53% in a year. What's going on And here? yet they got a big boost uh, this week uh, with news, headline news, uh, that they had their deal with KFC. They're going to have a deal with KFC for a national roll, rollout of meatless fried chicken for a limited time starting Monday. Stock was up initially 10% on that announcement the thing is, it was treated as news. It isn't news. The deal with Yum Brands, Yum owns KFC and lots of other stuff. They announced it in February 2021. They also announced it in September of 2019 at a Barclays conference. And yes, they announced it again this week. So, you know, it was re, re, re-announced, but the stock surged nonetheless. Uh, KFC's restaurants are going to add that plant-based chicken to their menus. But as I mentioned, it's a limited trial in the U.S., they are spending tons of money to get these deals. Now, they had $132 million in gross profit. It is after paying for the peas or whatever else is, is, are using to uh, make their products. 
$132 million gross profit, but they spent an operating expenditures of $240 million in the last year, another $140 million in capital expenditures. And P pricing, you know, inflation's real for all of us, 100% increase in P pricing, which say they've managed with futures contracts. But the question is, now you, Isaac, told me you actually buy this stuff, this Beyond Meat stuff. Yeah, every week we eat Beyond Meat in our house. I make something with it. Um, Why? Sometimes twice a week. It's good. It's good. And, you know, we're not that big of meat eaters. So it's nice to have a different. Have you heard of, of salad? We do salad as well. Do you ever, ever boil broccoli or, or even steam it? God every forbid. Day, every day. Sometimes I bake it. <laughs> okay. Sometimes I air fry it. No, when but my kids were, me, I mean, when my the, kids were the age of your yeah. kids, we used to cut the broccoli stalks, uh-huh. which kids don't like to eat because it's a little crunchier. We right. cut it thin. Uh-huh. And we tell them they were broccoli stars and they love the broccoli stars. Oh, that's a good idea. Get I like involved. that idea. Think, well, kids thanks, are hate me. Well, thankfully <laughs> our kids do eat the broccoli, but beyond meat, they also love beyond meat. I mean, we, uh, we've never had a problem with it. It tastes great. And um, it does the trick. Well, their sales and retail channels, in spite of the fact that they're adding retail channels, forget the mm -hmm. fast food stuff we're talking about, um, are, have actually been declining. Mm -hmm. And while, while there is anticipation that people with New Year's resolutions are going to run into Kentucky Fried Chicken for health reasons. I don't, right there, you lost me. But yes, <laughs> they're going to run into Taco Bell, McDonald's, and Kentucky Fried Chicken because they've made these big commitments to getting meat out of their diet. And then while they're in a Taco Bell or a McDonald's or a, Kentucky, a KFC, they're going to say, you know, I came here because I don't like meat. Let me order the Beyond Meat Fried Chicken. Okay, that's the I logic. I see your point. I, to I totally see your point. I mean, I, I would never, I don't go to McDonald's or KFC, so I would never be going there for their Beyond None Meat offerings. Okay, but nonetheless, this is there. And I, I should also mention, I'm not a big fan of Wall Street analysts, as you know, because they do things like the Bank of America analysts who has been bullish on Beyond for a while. They dropped their 2030 total addressable market for, for plant-based foods or plant-based meat. Mm -hmm. They've dropped it to seven and a half billion. Remember what the number was on a week ago with our guests for 2030? What? So it's a seven and a half billion now. Guess what they thought it was going to be? Um, Nine billion. 40. Oh. 40 billion. They dropped <laughs> oh it from 40 God. billion to seven and a half billion. Wow. They're both probably stupid, wild ass guesses. But anyway. What was the reasoning behind that massive drop? Because people aren't buying the product. Am I the only customer of Beyond Meat? Nonetheless, the Beyond Meat CEO in the last conference call justifying all their expenditures on operating expenses and, and capital expenditures by the deals that they are signing with like the likes of Yum Brands. Here is CEO Ethan Brown. And then you look at you know the activities across our Yum partnership, whether it's KFC in China or Pizza Hut here in the U.S. with a pepperoni test or Pizza Hut with the ongoing distribution in, in the U.K. of think, three different Beyond toppings. <clears throat> and then, of course, you're at Taco Bell or this year, talk about plans with us. So all of these things are accumulating within our system and requiring us to, in a good way, to make investments to be able to serve these future opportunities. And you go into, you know, whether it's Canada and A&W or the Panda Express here in the U.S., you look at continued rollout of new products and retail. And, of course, internationally, we're making significant investments. And as I mentioned in my comments, just got back from the EU, both in the EU and China. And so all of those are not about this year and these results during this period of, of what we would characterize as stability, but rather for 2022 and beyond. So 2022 and beyond. 
I wish them well. I'd like people to have healthier diets. I'm not, I don't know if Beyond Meat is healthier or not, but uh, uh, this is continues to be a story where the stock gets excited on old news about limited rollouts at things like KFC. I can't wait for it. I, in, in three months, we're going to be talking about this Yum Brands deal with Beyond Meat again. There'll be a new pro. There'll be a new press release again. It'll be a fun show in three months. Yeah, or it'll be the McPlant product, which barely moves the needle <laughs> for them. You know, I, I don't know. Corey, what's your next drill down? Let's look at fuel cell energy. Fuel cell, friend of the show, trades under F cell F. S, I'm sorry, FCEL shares have lost 52% in a year. Well, we've talked, we've also talked to the CEO of Plug Power mm -hmm. uh, in the past. Um, fuel Cell reporting earnings uh, this week uh, that were weak. Actually, I said this week, uh, sorry, on the 29th. So right at the end of the year, uh, they announced just weak, you know, lower revenue. I mean, this is an insanely priced stock that is priced for, not for perfection, it's priced in the hope that this business is going to be growing like crazy. It's trading even now after, uh, as you pointed, 52% collapse in the stock in the last year. Uh, price of sales of 32 times sales, and yet their revenues are decreasing. Revenues went from 17 million, 14 million in Q4, uh, year over year. Um, uh, their business, uh, you know, revenue over the last three years is down 22%. They moved away from um, uh, uh, product sales and tried to enter into these big product purchase agreements with big customers that are big uh, users of energy, but they're spending so much. Uh, their capital expenditures went from 30 million in 2020 to 73 million in 2021. So the question remains, when are these deals gonna come in and do they even have enough to handle? You know, if they're doing these big purchase agreements with their, their customers, can they even make this stuff? They're basically saying no, that if you look at their business and their manufacturing capacity, it's not big enough for the size of their opportunities. Here's Chief Financial Officer Mike Bishop. And then you also look at the size of potential um, carbon capture opportunities, which are which are going to be megawatt scale. It makes sense to add um, to add additional equipment to be able to realize that 200 megawatts of um, volume over time. Now, obviously, we're not going to do all of that um, this coming year. The additional capex would be around um, around capacity for solid oxide. As we sit here today, we have a small capacity for solid oxide in our Calgary facility in Canada. But as Jason mentioned, um, solid oxide and electrolysis is a significant market opportunity and to be able to you know, capture uh, product sales um, there, uh, we are going to need additional capacity over time. So that's, that's where um, some of the spending is, is coming from as well. So yeah, these guys have figured out they've got to be a bigger business to be any kind of growing business and they're not there yet, spending a lot of money to get there. Um, and uh, it's definitely another story where the future of this business is what people are paying for right now, but the future is not materializing. Corey, what's your next drill down? I want to look at one of the most successful stocks of the entire year. The year being a few days old. Uh, next tier oil field solutions. Uh, it trades under NEX, N-E-X, and shares have gained 26% over the past 12 months. 
This is not a business that I looked at before today. I spent a lot of time today reading about it. It's got a $1.2 billion market cap right now up from, well, geez, it's, uh, as you mentioned, it has increased in value fantastically. The stock price is $5.07 right now. It was at $3.50 just a week ago or even lower. Um, these guys have been doing deals and they've been doing deals to grow what's a really interesting business. So let's talk about uh, this company a little bit. It's in the fracking business, particularly what they call well completion. But well completion in the oil business means the second you think there's oil in the ground, you hire some guys to come in and complete the well. Huh. You might just do the seismic. You might just know where the oil is somehow, magically guessing. You bring these guys in to do everything after that. Now, they have been acquiring companies that focus on fracking and focus on fracking in a particular area. They bought a company called Alamo Acquisition for about $250 million in August. Um, about a year before, two years before that, they bought a company called C&J, same deal, about $250 million. Um, and the revenue growth rate is ticking up fantastically. Now, next tier oil field solutions is focused on West Texas. Um, about half their business is in West Texas in the Permian Basin. The Permian Basin, as you know, is a third of all U.S. oil production. So it's not a giant area, uh, but it is giant in the oil business. And that's where these guys are focused. What are they focused on, Isaac? You're wondering. I am. Cat tier four hydraulic fracturing. I was going to say fracking. Yeah. Look at that. Look at that. But cat tier four oh, hydraulic fracking. Why don't you explain what that is? I have no idea. So uh, tier four hydraulic fracking is really, really interesting. It is the cutting edge of fracking. So right now, the way you do fracking is you bring a bunch of equipment out to a wellhead and you have a giant drill that goes very far down in the Permian. You're going about a mile and a half, two miles down. Then you're going about a mile and a half horizontally. Wow. You're pumping a lot of water in. You're pumping a lot of water out. You're obviously pumping a lot of rock out and other stuff. You're also pumping a lot of propent in. So the moment you frack the well, you can pop, you can also pump in the propent. The propent holds the cracks in the ground apart from collapsing on themselves, at which uh -huh. point oil and gas flows up. A lot of energy is used to do this. Almost all that energy is supplied by uh, a trucks that come out there with diesel fuel, with gasoline. So think about the irony of this. You drill down two miles. You drill across a mile and a half. You've got a, a ginormous grill and pumps and pumps, pumping stuff down, pumping stuff up, putting pipe in the ground, running that drill bit, all using gasoline so you can find some oil, get rid of the gas, and get some more gasoline out of the end of the process. So what is tier four hydraulic fracturing, fracking? Tier four hydraulic fracking rigs are actually powered by the natural gas coming out of the ground at the wellhead. Think about that. That's interesting. It's really freaking interesting. You don't have yeah. to bring the gasoline out. Now, most rigs are still run on diesel gas. Okay. And the pumping solutions and everything else. But an increasing amount of these rigs are these tier four hydraulic fracking rigs powered in part or in whole by the natural gas you get out of the wellhead. No more trucking in the gasoline to power your drilling rigs. This is cutting edge stuff. Yeah. And these guys have made a huge, next tier has made a huge bet on CAT, which is made by Caterpillar, right? Tier four hydraulic fracking rigs. Half their rigs right now, half their fleet, are these tier four gas-powered hydraulic fracking rigs. Gas-powered or, or half, you know, up to half gas-powered. 
they're a lot cheaper to operate. Uh, uh, according to these guys, cost goes from $16 million per well to $6 million per well. So it's cheaper. It's also environmentally cleaner because you're burning off the gas that's coming out of the well instead of burning it in the environment or right. selling it at, you know, uh, perpetually depressed gas prices. I'm assuming so this less one, manpower as well. Uh, not really. Maybe actually, not? manpower is a big issue for this business. Uh. Um, they still need a lot of people at the well ahead of sell, a lot of roughnecks work in the rig. But, and that is an issue in this business perpetually, but a really big issue right now. Not perpetually. Whenever the gas is, whenever oil and gas is booming, they can't find enough for roughnecks. Whenever there's a slight correction, roughnecks are out of work mad, madly. In any case, these guys, after sort of in the last quarter, the end of Q3, kind of saying, you know, I don't know. We don't know what's going to be. Uh, first of September looked good. October looked good. We don't know what November is going to look like. We don't know what December is going to look like. Thanksgiving, Christmas is often slow down. So we'll wait and see. Well, they waited. They saw. And today they put out a press release. Or this week they put out a press release saying that it's all working. And that, that things were really good in the fourth quarter. In fact, the fourth quarter revenues are going to be up about 25% from the third quarter. Mm -hmm. And that things are just going the way they want them to. Here's CEO Robert Drummond. Our customers, I would say, are engaging earlier than they typically have been for 2022, which means that they're worried about gaining access to the fleets they want to work with. And, you know, I'm, I'm expecting net pricing gains in 2022 at double digit percentage uh, as we get through the year. I mean, we got to be uh, pretty accurate in our inflation uh, estimations, and that's going to be a bit of a moving target, I think, in 2022. But I think it's how fast that occurs will be the net pricing aspect will be determined a bit by how well we do at predicting what inflation looks like. But one thing that we really like as we've built a company around, you know, having gas powered fleets and an integrated service model is that we're able to do some focusing now on like-minded customers and have a little more say about who we end up hooking up with customers that are focused on, you know, efficiency and consistent loading for the fleet. So not every customer sees the value in this stuff. Drummond mentioned in customers, he went on later to talk about how finding the right customers as important as anything in this business. But these guys took a big bet on this new technology, uh, doing some big acquisitions uh, to make that happen, watching their stock price kind of crater. Uh, this week, we see the results of those big bets uh, with some great success for next year. All right, coming up next, our guest, Rocket Lab CEO, Peter Beck. What an interesting company, right? SpaceX gets all his attention and Richard Branson and Elon Musk get all his attention for starting these space businesses, throwing Jeff Bezos, if we went there, and Blue Origin. But meanwhile, these guys are quietly launching hundreds of satellites with dozens of quiet launches, smaller satellites. These guys are already doing it. Uh, while other space companies are getting uh, promising a great future in space, these guys are in space right now. We've got an interesting conversation with the CEO of Rocket Lab right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. All right, welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. As promised, Rocket Lab CEO Peter Beck, Pete Beck joins us right now from New Zealand which is interesting because your company's based in Long Beach, California with operations in Colorado. So why wouldn't you be in New Zealand? 
Well, we have we have a few operations down here in New Zealand as well. Of course, the the um, the launch site being one of them. <laughs> that small thing necessary in a rocket is the actual rocket launch, which gets us to my big question: What is Rocket Lab? How do you define the company? Yes, yeah, so, I mean, really, we're uh, a space company, an end-to-end space company. Um, I think we're most famously known for our launch vehicles, um, the Electron launch vehicle, and soon to be Neutron. Uh, but we also build satellites um, and, uh, and and spacecraft as well. We have a number of missions, uh, really exciting missions, actually. One going to the moon um, later next year and uh, two around Mars for NASA and our own private uh, mission to Venus. But um, you know, I think, I think the best way to describe us is, is an end-to-end, vertically integrated space company. And you're launching rockets. This is not, this is not a speculative on paper, well, maybe speculative, but it is not just something on paper where someday you're going to do something. You've actually launched rockets and you've launched a few of them. Yeah, I, I, we put over 105 satellites in orbit. Um, we're actually the, the second most frequently launched US rocket, uh, fourth most launched rocket in the entire world. So, yep, we, we, we certainly launched rockets. And yet the stock is a new thing for you guys. Why have a, a US listed stock at all? So, so really, as, as I thought about, you know, the, the company and, and the company's trajectory and growth, there was kind of three things that going public was, you know, intended to optimize for us. Um, you know, two really important, one probably less important. Um, so first important one is, is obviously access to capital. Um, this is a very capital intensive um, business. However, um, you, know, you know, we've never had any issues raising capital. Um, you know, having public uh, capital certainly helps. Uh, secondly, is uh, being able to um, uh, ha- have that, that that public currency to be able to go and do things like acquisitions, which you know we've done a few of already. And yeah. then finally, it's it's about building um, you know build, building a company that 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 has a succession plan. Um, you know, there's a lot of space companies with um, you know with with obviously very um, very public founders, but uh, what I want to do here is build something that lasts forever and ever. And uh, being a public company ensures that that will happen. Uh, you mentioned acquisitions. You just acquired a company called Advanced Solutions based in Colorado. Mm-hmm. What, what did you get that you didn't have before with that deal announced uh, just a few weeks ago? Yeah, so that, that, that's, I mean, space software companies are incredibly, incredibly rare. And software is such a massive element of the kind of the space ecosystem. So, you know, what we're trying to do here is, is acquire all of the, the kind of the, 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 the skills and, and at scale that we need to go and, um, you know, execute on big programs so um you know software is a, is a huge element and um you know that's the only you know 50 person software team that's dedicated to just building space software um that that has a huge amount of experience lots of interplanetary missions um and of course it, it needed to to really jive with the the culture of the company so we're very very lucky um that you know all of that came together and uh, we're able to you know, to, to bring that team on board. And, um, you know, the, the one previously we did that was Sinclair Interplanetary. Um, and that was another really successful acquisition for us. And what does space software do? I'm sorry if this sounds, sounds like a dumb question, but in what way is it is it a particularly unique practice? Well, look, satellites are just machines. Satellites are, are, are machines that are on orbit, um, but with the pecu- peculiarity that, you know, if the machine breaks down, you certainly can't just whip up there and turn on some knobs. So, um, uh, you know, software is, is, is an integral part of, of any machine um, and as satellites are becoming more and more powerful um, and more and more reliant on, on software, 
um, you know, these are, you know, the, these are these are very unique capabilities. Um, you know, software in space has to allow for lots and lots of different things you don't have down on Earth. Um, you know, for example, uh, doses of radiation from sun ejector, you, you don't really need to worry about that. But um, up in space, that's just like resets your computer and scrambles bits, flips bits and does all kinds of crazy stuff. So um, it is a very, very unique um, environment to operate in. Is the computing uh, need very different as well, or can you sort of run with the software you need in your typical, you know, laptop or whatever? I mean, the, the power of, of chips is so great, or are there particular kinds of computing needs necessary? Yeah, compute's really not that much of an issue, um, although there's some really interesting stuff happening with some artificial intelligence on orbit. But compute's not, you know, not, not that much of an issue. It's it's uh, it, it's more about ensuring um, the really really robust software requirements that you have on orbit to keep those machines, um, you know, operate. Oh, what are the AI uh, things that are interesting? Well, so um, you know, typically, um, you know, the way you would, if you take an Earth observation satellite, for example, you take the pictures and you send all that raw data down to Earth. And of course, that's, you know, that's a lot of data to go down an RF link and over a, over a ground station. So if you can actually do some of the, uh, you know, some of the machine learning in orbit and some of the sorting in orbit and just send down the insights, then of course, uh, you know, that, that um, has a much uh, less, you know, smaller requirement on the, you know, the bandwidth of actually receiving back to Earth. It's interesting uh, business. How did you end up getting into this? Well, for me, it was it was it was kind of a hard coded thing. So, you know, the youngest memory I have of a child is actually standing outside with my father, and he was pointing to the stars, and you know, pointed out to me that those are suns, and around those suns have planets, and there could be somebody standing there and looking back at you. Um, and that was really the moment that you know, for a, a maybe a three or four year old kid, was just like, okay, that's pretty serious. Um, and I've always, uh, you know, loved engineering. So if you mix engineering and space together, then, you know, um, you end up building rockets and satellites. Yet I feel like we had a fallow period, you know, through the 70s and 80s and post-Challenger disaster, the space shuttle crash and everything, that, that space and space, forget space travel, just space exploration, the interest in the science in space wasn't there. Governments around the world weren't funding it anymore. Um, and... Uh, now that seems to have changed. I don't understand what's changed. Well, I think there's a, a number of things that have changed. So, um, you know, firstly, uh, the, the requirements and the scale of the machines have shrunken enormously. So, you know, a satellite that used to be the size of a school bus can be the size of a refrigerator now. And access to space has been, you know, improved remarkably. So, you know, it's really almost the democratization of space has happened in, in the last couple of decades, quite frankly. And, you know, it used to take governments to go to space and governments to do anything in space. Right. These days, you know, private companies, heck, I mean, we, we, we launched a, a satellite that was built by uh, a group of um, universities uh, in, in California. Um, right here at Cal Berkeley. Right. Yeah, no, high schools, high schools, Irvine oh, High Schools in California. Yeah, they built a satellite and we launched it. So, um, you know, the, the, the ability to access the technologies and access space is just, you know, the bar has followed so dramatically. Uh, and whenever you do that, um, you know, business and commerce will, will find a way to, to take advantage of that. And, you know, just like, uh, you know, when steamships started sailing and then when commercial aircraft started flying, uh, we're in the same, same era now um, in space. 
Uh, what does the high school satellite do? I hope it's something really dumb. Well, I, can, I can't actually remember, to be honest with you, it was like <laughs> three or four years ago. Um, I, I think, I think they, they, they did have a mission. It might have been an ionospheric mission, if I recall. But quite frankly, if it just beeps, that's, that's <laughs> quite enough. Uh, it is. It's, really, it's, it's such a neat thing. And I think that there's, um, do, are there certain business cases for you going forward? I mean, there's obviously the, the, the billionaires and their space tourism uh, with the cowboy hats or, uh, or, with, or without the cowboy hats. But I do think that that's a little bit of a mask for some serious business that can be done. Well, you know, there's, there's, of course, there's a lot of talk about um, uh, Internet being beamed down from space uh, to access the Internet in places where we can't right now. What are the other use cases that you see driving your business five and ten years from now? Well, I'll preference that by stating that the, the biggest thing to be thought of and done in space is yet to uh, we're, we're really just, you know, opening the domain of space up to, to be able to, you know, commercialize and do things. So I think you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of really big things yet to happen. And I think a lot of people uh, go through their daily lives and, and, and enjoy the, the, the kind of the fruits of the space infrastructure without actually realizing that they are using them. So space is one of those things that are like, you know, water in a pipe. It's hidden infrastructure that's, that sits behind the water in the pipe. And the same with space because you just, you just can't see it. Um, you know, if you, you, you call up and, and, uh, and, and get a pizza delivered, you know, that's all, all, all of that is, is being enabled from uh, you know, GPS network and, and, and space. So your pizza actually turns up to your house, not the neighbor's house. Um, so it's just even, even very, very basic things like that um, are, are fundamental. But I think, um, you know, some of the things that, that, that get me excited is um, using space uh, to solve some of the biggest problems down here on Earth. I mean, there is no doubt that our climate is changing and our Earth is changing. And um, when you're kind of down on the ground, it, it's 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 you know you can see what's going on around you. But actually, sitting up in space and looking at a macro view of of the planet and trying to understand that, especially as weather patterns will you know start to become more erratic, it becomes really really critical for just everyday you know everyday lives. So I think space really holds some of the keys to some of the biggest problems here um, down on Earth. And there's some really, uh, really cool programs that, uh, you know, are, are looking to, to exploit space for just that reason. And most of your most of your spaceships have been in kind of low Earth orbit, right? And, and not not you. You mentioned Mars, you mentioned Venus and, and the moon. And that's all super cool. But that's not where your business is, right? Yeah, no, I mean, the majority of our launch business is certainly in low Earth orbit. So um, uh, apart from one mission where, or actually two missions where we're using Electron to go to the moon for NASA um, early next year and um, our private mission to Venus in 2023, the majority of, of at least of our launch stuff is in, in low Earth orbit. But within our space systems division, I would say the majority of our work is actually uh, is, is not uh, around Earth. It's actually around other planets and other celestial bodies. So. Um, and, and those programs, um, you know, those those are super exciting. And and the the, all, the common theme is is you know with all of these is actually uh, using that information. Um, you know, we, we're going to you know uh, to, to to Mars for, for NASA with a pair of dual spacecraft to really understand um, you know how Mars's atmosphere gets stripped uh, by the sun. And th this is incredibly important for understanding our own planet. And and you mentioned systems and services, and that's an intriguing aspect of the of the business to me. When I look at it, I think, I think you know, cool. You launch some satellites, and it's all mm. sort of 
mission driven. Um, but in fact, uh, you've got the chance for kind of ongoing revenues through service and and uh, to explain how that works and how those contracts work. Yeah, so I mean, uh, look, the way I look at the launch part of the business is that it's a glorified freight company. Um, we pick up a package and we drop it off to a destination. Now, it happens to be a very, very challenging destination and a very challenging delivery truck, but nevertheless, it's, it's kind of a freight business. Um, and on the, the, the space system side, you know, we're building the infrastructure that uh, is, is going to go into orbit. And sometimes we launch it on our launch vehicle and sometimes we don't. Uh, and then we have other parts of the business where we, we're operating someone else's satellite that we neither, neither built nor launched. But the whole point of this is an end-to-end um, space company. And I think if you look at the space companies of the future, or at least the large ones, uh, that's what they're going to look like. Because when you have your own rocket and you have your own satellites and you're vertically integrated from literally raw material through to delivery in orbit and operation in orbit, that is a very, very powerful, um, you know, powerful combination that enables you to do things at a pace and a cost that's just unfathomable if you just own one of those or, you know, each one of those elements. Fascinating business. Uh, you've, you've achieved a fantastic valuation uh, which you're going to have to grow your business into, but you've got some real revenues already, which is something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, uh, you know, there's, there's space is, is a very aspirational place and there's a lot of folks that are, are very aspirational. Um, but I would, you know, I would say that space is a little bit shy in execution. Um, and uh, and that, that, that's something that, you know, we're, we're always about. I mean, we, we put our head down and, and we just, we, you know, our goal is to just deliver um, so yeah, as a result, of course, yep, there's, there's revenues there and, and, um, and, you know, the market has, has valued, uh, the company for, uh, the, you know, the very scarce resources of launch that it has. And, uh, it also the very, very complicated, uh, and challenging projects that only a few companies, uh, and in fact, a few countries around the world have demonstrated that they can pull off. All right. Pete Beck is the CEO of Rocket Lab. We really appreciate your time. Cool venture, one we'll keep an eye on when the drill down continues. We're going to take a look back at this business. I got one number that will tell you a whole lot about how Rocket Lab is a little bit different than some of the other companies trying to do some work in space. That one number will tell us a whole lot, and I'll tell you that number right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. With Era, give yourself an information advantage. Connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And we hope you're enjoying the regular editions of the Drill Down podcast. It's easier when you use your smart speaker and you say to your smart speaker, hey, smart speaker, play the Drill Down podcast and you'll hear our latest show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. Right, we're back with the Drill Down Podcast and the Drill Down Bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. That number, as it relates to Rocket Labs, is their revenues, Isaac, for the first six months of this calendar year. This company did, here's a number, $29,472,000, a substantial increase, $29,472,000 from the previous year when they only did about $8.7 million in revenues. So this business wow. is suddenly growing really fast. The, you know, the bull case for this stuff is always, hey, there's going to be lots of things happening in space. But I always think the bull cases like that are nonsense. It's really about how much business these guys are going to do. And it looks like there are, they're capturing a lot of new business uh, in this calendar year so far. We'll see what it looks like when they release third quarter results. But first half of the year, big growth over the first half of the previous year. 
dare I say it took off like a rocket? No, don't. No, rocket Labs? Do not dare. Rocket Labs? Yeah. This is when I wish we had paid the money for the music license and we could play uh, <laughs> Elton John. But we won't do that. They also have, these guys also have some pretty nutty names uh, for their, their missions. I should have asked him about this. But some of their missions, when I look at some of the filings, of the, the financial filings, I was like, wait a minute. Am I reading this stuff right? They've got names of some of their missions. Uh, let me pull it up here real fast. Um, the, the, the July 20, uh, 2021 mission um, with uh, the U.S. Space Force, as their client was, the name of the mission, it's a little chilly up here. Or a little Chile. It's spelled like uh, the country. Uh. Or another one. Running out of toes. Another one. They go up so fast. Their January 2021 launch. Another one leaves the crust. You know what? Maybe this maybe this fun humor is partly a reflection of the fact that they're, they're, New, Zealand, they're New Zealand company yeah. and they're just happier people in New Zealand. They have less less worries, less thing, less things to fear in New Zealand. Okay. Isn't it supposed to be idyllic? It's a little utopia. Well, that's all we've got on the Drill Down Podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. Isaac Webster is our uh, speculative executive editor. Ben Wilson is our editor at large. We're grateful for both of you guys. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network. 